Welcome to Lead with Confidence, the podcast where we will explore the journeys of leaders who inspire, empower, and believe in others. Join me to discover your self-confidence in love, life, and leadership. I'm Desiree Petrick, owner of Intentional Action, motivational speaker, and executive coach, and I can't wait to join your journey to learn what it means to lead with confidence. Hey, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Lead with Confidence. I'm here today with my friend, Diane Schroeder. She spent 24 years in the fire service, which is a 96% male-dominated workforce. Super masculine, very high-stress environment, but she was able to work her way up in the ranks to battalion chief and was able to do it in a way that still prioritized her self-care and self-maintenance after learning a lot about herself. She is now a self-care strategy coach, consultant, and a leadership geek. So we have a lot in common. And she's focused on helping leaders create more capacity in their lives so they can prioritize themselves, which is going to impact all areas of their lives. And I am really excited to have you listen to this specific conversation because the words authenticity come up a lot, which I think is something that people are almost scared to portray in a corporate or a business environment or specifically in an environment where they feel uncomfortable because they are the minority. But also, in addition to authenticity, what it would have looked like to practice leadership skills and to learn leadership qualities prior to needing them, to decrease the pressure when you actually need to be the designated adult, I think is the term that she uses. So this is a great conversation. I'm excited for you to hear it. So without further ado, here's my friend, Diane. The name of my company is The Fire Inside Her. And it's kind of got, that's the umbrella. And underneath it, I host a weekly podcast. And then I do speaking engagements across the country. I do some consulting work and um, I'm getting ready to launch a coaching program. So kind of a lot of things all under one umbrella. (laughs) You sound like me. Like, where where is all of our time? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I'm busier now than I was when I worked in the fire service. <laughs> so if if people only listen for the first three minutes of this, what would be the lesson that you want them to take away from what we're going to be talking about? I think the biggest lesson is to really focus on taking care of yourself, on uncovering and unearthing your inner fire so that you can just be the most authentic version of yourself. And I find that when you really work towards authenticity, the universe conspires to help you. You find your alignment with, you know, what you're supposed to do and also prioritizing taking care of yourself. And that makes you a better human in general in all areas of your life. And I agree with you wholeheartedly, but I want to ask, what do you tell people when they say that self-care is an unattainable luxury? They just don't have time. Well, I would say um, I appreciate that perspective. And for many years, I felt the same way. So I understand that logic until I started to view self-care through a much different lens. And I really, it's not even really self-care. It's more like self-maintenance. It's the, you know, the cliche, put the oxygen mask on yourself first before you can put it on everyone else. And to even back up a little bit, I encourage my coaching clients to sit down and write a list of everything they're responsible for, absolutely everything, personally, professionally, and make that list. And that is usually a very long list that no one can 
keep up with and prioritize. So once you have that list of everything you're responsible for, then it's really making those hard decisions of what is, is this list align with my values? Does it align with my priorities? What can I stop doing? What can I delegate? What boundaries do I need to work on? And that in itself is an act of self-care. So if you can start with foundational structures in your life, then self-care does not have to be unattainable. Do you find that there is a pattern amongst men and women who who do this list, who practice this? What is the thing that they're finding is not needed in their life or the boundaries that need to be set? Is there some sort of pattern? I think that the biggest pattern is once people see it and see all the things that they're responsible for, it it kind of stirs emotions and feelings. And typically the people that I work with that need the most self-care are the givers, the overgivers. The they have to be there for everyone else. They take care of their family, they're the overgiver at work. And being an overgiver is not a bad thing. Let me be clear. It's actually a superpower in a lot of ways. But yes, I think once they write it down, they're like, oh, okay, you know, it's this isn't my responsibility, or, you know, maybe I can have my son start doing his laundry. Maybe I can talk to my partner or my spouse and see if, you know, there's more delegation that they can do. And really understanding that it's an internal boundary with yourself understanding what are you willing to do and not do. And if you can set those internal boundaries first, then it it's not easy. It takes practice. Then it's a little, you know, it's the first step in setting external boundaries. Like it's because when you say yes to everyone else, you're saying no to yourself. So because something's got to give. And so I think that's the, you know, you, you start seeing a pattern, I guess the pattern of is overgiving and what can you delegate to other people? And what can you say no to that? This isn't meeting my values. This doesn't move me forward. This doesn't isn't a hell yes. So I'm going to have to let it go. Interesting. And you had made the comment that you create more capacity in your life so that you can prioritize yourself. To me, that sounds like you're trying to add more time where there isn't some. So can you define what it means to create more capacity? Sure. Uh, so I, I, the analogy that I like to use is you can't pour from an empty cup. And it's not necessarily the cup that's the problem. It's the size of the cup. So if you're trying to fill everyone else's cup around you with a teacup, you're never going to have enough to fill it. It's never going to be overflowing. You're never going to, you know, it's it's always, you're always going to be trying to fill this tiny little cup. If you use a pitcher... <laughs> <laughs> then you've got more capacity. So building that life of more capacity is really, you know, it's, it's those setting those boundaries. It's setting, you know, saying this is my time for myself and sure. Some things will maybe fall off and some things won't get attended to. And it's in my personal experience that that's okay. Letting those things go is scarier in theory than it is in reality. And um, so for example, I started setting really firm boundaries every morning. That's my time, my sacred time. I call it my sacred time for me. I meditate, I journal, I walk, I, I do yoga. It just depends on the day, but I set aside about two and a half hours, which seems like an extreme amount of time when you're really busy. And I was a single mom for almost 10 years. So I completely empathize with that. 
And what I found was I had more energy. I had that more capacity to handle the unexpected things and life continued to go on. So while it was scary at first, now it it's worse if I don't do it. I don't know if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So did you work your way up to two and a half hours or was it something you said, I'm just going to set aside this time and screw the rest. <laughs> oh God. Yes. I had to work up to it because, you know, that's an overwhelming amount of time. I started with about 10 minutes. So it's those micro steps. I started, I just started getting up a little bit earlier every day and I would just sit in silence and drink a cup of coffee. That is how my self-care routine really started. And then I was like, oh, this is a great way to start the day. I wonder if I started doing something more. And meditation was always very intimidating to me because my brain is always spinning at about 500 miles an hour. And when I really was like, okay, let's try these guided meditations. How oh, this isn't so bad. I just felt more calm. I felt more um, in tune to the day. I'm like, okay, that's a good five minutes. So, you know, gradually over time, I worked up to it. It took me a couple of years to get to two and a half hours. And I had the, I have the privilege of working for myself now. So I can design my day that way. It wasn't always the case when I was at the firehouse and I was working shift work, I'd have to get up at 5am. So those mornings were, you know, maybe five minutes if I was lucky. One of my goals for this year is to create space to include my husband and my friends and my kids in my desire to fill my own cup more. How how did you create that space to include people in that journey? That's a great question. Um, I think when I met my now husband, I had I was about a year and a half into my self-care routine and my I call it my sacred start every morning. And he too came into the relationship prioritizing a morning routine. So we were really lucky that we could combine it. So probably two or three days a week, we do it together. We meditate together, we breathe together. Um, and we really just start our day that way with a lot of intention. And my son, he, um, he's really funny about it because from the time he was pretty young, I always encouraged him to take alone time, to take some space, to go listen to music or go play, just kind of unwind throughout the day. And now he's really good at it. He'll be like, when I pick him up for school, he'll be like, mom, no talking. I need like 10 or 15 minutes to decompress from the day. He's 11. And it's really kind of, I'm like, oh, well, that's a bummer, but I respect that. So I think it's, you know, teaching everyone has their own idea of what that looks like, whatever self-care or that time alone to regroup and just sit with yourself. So it's respecting those boundaries. And that's how I've included the family. If you know me, you know that I like to throw around the number 60. That's 60 books read every year. Everything from leadership to fiction and from memoirs to romance. The last Monday of every month, I release an episode of Lead with Confidence where we will dive deep into my favorite personal development book for the month. I will read them so you don't have to. However, I do truly think that books have the power to change your life. So if you're looking to learn and grow with some intentional action this year, check out my five favorite books that have moved the needle for me the most. Head over to DesireePetrick.com slash books. That's B-O-O-K-S. And I'll send you my list along with the links to get your very own copy. That's DesireePetrick.com slash books. Let's read and learn and grow together. You mentioned a couple of times your work at the firehouse. Can you give us a little bit of a background, kind of leading more into the conversation on leadership, what that looked like for you over the course of 
the past 25 years? <laughs> sure. Um, so I grew up uh, with, I'm a third generation firefighter. My grandfather and my dad were both in the fire service and the volunteer fire service. So there's not really a moment in my life where the fire service wasn't a part of me. Uh, when I was in high school, I was really interested in becoming a firefighter or a nurse. And um, my grandmother had dementia really bad. So nursing school kind of went out the window because I really wanted to stay home and take care of her. And I was like, all right, cool. I'll be a firefighter. So I got hired. I started testing right out of high school. I got hired when I was 23 and spent almost 24 years in the fire service, which is 96% male dominated. I really, you know, leadership at 23, I didn't really understand it. I didn't really know it. And then when I started to promote up the um, chain of command in the fire service, and my first promotion was uh, lieutenant as a company officer, I was like, oh, now I'm responsible. I'm the designated adult for other humans. <laughs> I have to keep them safe. I have to, you know, so really leadership kind of, that's was my introduction to leadership. And I really started to pay attention of what worked and what didn't work still without any formal training. And then I continued to climb the ladder parallel to getting my bachelor's degree and eventually my master's degree and kind of learning what worked and didn't work. And it was unique in the fire service, 96% male dominated the, as women climb the ladder, it, those numbers get even smaller for women in leadership in the fire service. So it really, what I found was the more I could be myself and the more I could lead through the lens that I knew how to lead naturally it was a great enhancement when I got more of the education to go with it. And I just absolutely, what I loved most about the fire service and still do are the humans that work in the fire service, the men and women that, um, come every show up every day to serve their community and serve each other. And it was just really beautiful. And then to see teams grow together, we call them crews. Um, so like when I would get a new crew member and just kind of how you introduce them to the fire service and how you, you know, bring them up and, and not getting it right. Like, I feel like a lot of my leadership journey was trial and error with more air when I look back on it. <laughs> But it was just a really great, um, overall great experience. And all those tools that I learned over the years on how to help people lead and, you know, bringing calm to chaos was really set me up for leaving the fire service to start my own business and speaking about leadership because I love leadership. I just think it's really important and, and the different facets of leadership. And there's just not a lot of it's getting more of a conversation, but a lot of the archetypes for leadership were developed in the, you know, mid 1900s, which is funny because it makes me feel really old, but they're, they're old. And I think as the world has changed after COVID, you know, we're more globally connected that being a leader, it, it's not, um, the typical, what I grew up with, where it was an old white cisgender male, that was the leadership archetype the leadership, you know, anyone can be a leader and anyone can learn those tools and have those skill set to lead authentically. It's funny you say that because I was, my follow-up question was going to be hindsight 2020. What would you tell a 23-year-old now who thinks, oh, it's not a big deal. I don't have to be a leader because ultimately those skills would have served you when you finally got to that place where you needed to have the leadership ability to be the designated adult. 
And I always say, you know, leading by example is almost easier from behind because there's no pressure. You don't have to be worried about something falling apart because you didn't do it right. When you start to lead by example, you are leading in a 360 degree fashion instead of focusing only on the people following you. So what would be your advice to your 23 year old self who thought I don't need to, to be a leader right now? You know, that's another great question. I think the best advice I would give my 23 year old self is to just be authentic. Just be me. Don't try to fit in, add value. And, you know, because I would go along to get along. I just wanted to be liked. I wanted to be accepted. That was really important to me, partly because of my personality, partly because I was a the minority and I didn't want to be excluded from the group. And if I could go back and just be me, it took me probably a good 10 years to just really show that vulnerability and be that authentic self. I, I wish I would have done it sooner. So just be you and you're hired. You get into a position because of who you are, not who they you think you should be, not to be like everyone else. And that takes a lot of courage to just step up and just be like, all right, this is me. This is who I am. This is the value I bring to the organization. I absolutely love that you just quoted your website because that means you are being authentically you, that what you have written and what you say are so aligned because I literally have courage, question mark, authenticity and vulnerability as a catalyst to growth. And you just said all four of those words in a sentence. So I appreciate that. But can you explain to us just a little bit more? What does courage, what role does courage play as that catalyst? What does courage mean to you? Ooh, that is a really great question. Excuse me. Um, so courage to me is like, if you look at your comfort zone and we all have a comfort zone and the comfort zone is pretty awesome because you're comfortable there. It's the growth happens when you push your boundaries of comfort to that unknown space, that, that change, that something else out there. And it's a fine line because you don't want to push too hard or you're in panic mode. And then that, you know, everything is disastrous after that. But I think it's courage to push your boundaries, courage to find the edge. I always say that I like to dance on the line because then I know where it is. So that courage to push, you know, your comfort zone, to step out of that comfort zone and to really, I think if you get quiet and listen to your inner self and do that work that, you know, work on healing past traumas, the, you know, just doing that inner work helps um, instill that courage because that in itself takes a lot of courage. So then taking that and pushing your boundaries to be like, man, this is a good idea. I'm going to bring it forward. Let's try something new. I think that's courageous. I think really living your authentic self takes a lot of courage in a world that is full of messaging, telling you that, you know, you have to be a certain way. You have to look a certain way. You have to speak a certain way. You have to, you know, act in a certain way to be quote unquote, accepted by the majority. I think it takes courage to be like, no, this is who I am. I'm going to be true to myself and listen to my heart and my soul and lead through that lens. And I'm sure a lot of individuals are saying, I wish I knew what my passion was. I wish I knew what my purpose was. 
But when they're either bored in a position that's not serving them within the workplace, all the way up into they are in a high stress situation like you were, and you don't see any room for the capacity to grow yourself because you're literally just putting out fires everywhere. Where is that that mindset shift of saying, whether I have all the time in the world because I'm bored or I have no time at all because I'm putting out fires, how do you differentiate feeling like you have to be everything to everyone to saying, okay, once I grow myself, that's going to ultimately be where I find the answers to these questions I've had, regardless of my situation. That's a good question too. Uh, you know, I always think my husband always tells me don't bet on the come. And what that means is you're betting on your future and no one knows what the future is. So if you're always like, I'm just going to wait until X, Y, and Z happens, or I'm so busy, I'm going to put all of this on the back burner. I believe that the universe will give you what you need. And if you don't listen to it, when it gives those gentle whispers or slight nudges or pay attention, it's going to hit you upside the head and things are going to fall apart. So <laughs> whether it's burning yourself out or being bored and just losing yourself because, you know, because you're bored, I think it's really prioritizing, taking that time to yourself and constantly asking yourself, am I happy? Am I aligned with what I should be doing? Is there something more nagging at me that, you know, I, that calling deep inside you that I believe we all have. And if you're so busy that you're going to burn yourself out, then that's a huge sign and a big red flag of you just need to pause. And it's, that's scary. That takes courage to be like, all right, I just need a timeout. <laughs> I mean, I need some time to reevaluate because if you're burning the candle at three ends or two ends, you're not giving your best self to anyone. And if you want to be the best, you have to show up as the best version of yourself. People always say, well, I'm not going to try hard at this job because it's not what I want to do. It's not who I want to be. It's not the industry I want to be in. And I say, that's perfect. Then there's no pressure. There's yes. no pressure to be perfect, especially if it's not what you want to do. But by trying your absolute hardest to be the best version of yourself and to lead by example, those skills and that process that you're going through is ultimately what's going to put you in a position to be ready to, to follow your dreams and to pursue your passion. The and the woo-woo of it all, you know, thinking the, yep. the universal manifests things for you. It really does put opportunities for growth in front of you and it's your option to take it or not. It's the same thing with having five books in front of you and deciding which one to read or whether to read at all. You know, those books were brought to you and put in front of you for a reason. What can they do to help you grow? And yes. I think that's really interesting that you can continue to look at it in a way that you're going to grow no matter what, but which direction, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and is it going to be serving your ultimate goals and dreams? Yes. Well, and it's your, it's the energy that you put out there, right? So, I mean, it's, it's the law of, of attraction, if you want to call it, but the energy. So if you're like just phoning it into life, you're not just phoning it in at work. My guess would be you're phoning it in at all areas because there's no separation. I think we like to say that, well, when I'm at work, I'm this person. When I'm at home, I'm this person. And I can, I can shut it off and be two different people. 
I don't think that's being your authentic self. And I would say that you're probably phoning it in, in all areas of your life. And the opposite is also true. If you're going 500 miles an hour and you're burning the candle and you're, you know, ready for burnout, it's not just professionally, it's probably personally too. And I, that was a tough lesson for me to learn. I remember I went through a really contentious, high conflict divorce. And literally my world fell apart personally and professionally. And I realized that, oh, (laughs) they're connected. And so if you want to really start to, if you're bored at work, great. Like you said, perfect opportunity to start being curious and like exploring, well, what, what would my life look like if I was, you know, living exactly what I wanted to, and then start doing that. (laughs) And so how do ethics and equality and equity impact the culture within a company to say every single person is an individual that's making up this company culture right now. How do we, as a group, look at these individuals as singles as opposed to a group? And how do we make them want to grow in the same direction? What is that? How does that impact culture? This week's episode is brought to you by Natural Cycles, the first FDA-cleared birth control app. It allows you to learn the unique pattern of your cycle with tailored updates and insights. Recently, it was updated to pair with your Apple Watch for effortless tracking. It's hormone-free, non-invasive, and effective. The app was also recently updated to allow your partner to log in and keep track to be a part of the process, either for birth control or planning of a pregnancy. By using my link, you will get 20% off of an annual subscription and a free thermometer. Go to DesireePetrick.com slash natural cycles or click on the link in the show notes. Ooh, that's a, I mean, that's the, in my, in my perspective, that's the sweet spot of leadership. And that is the greatest privilege of being a leader is to create a healthy work culture. And it starts at the top. I mean, it starts, you know, and if you're not at the top and you're in the middle of a leadership role, it's really hard. So I'm not going to lie. It's hard. It's challenging because you're kind of like storm clouds above you, alligators below you, you're, you're them and they, (laughs) your management, but you're also part of the team. And I think it's really important to number one, model the behavior. It's important to learn what your own biases are, learn what your conscious and unconscious biases are, and really be curious about that. How were you raised? And we all have them. We all carry those biases. What does respect look like for you? What are your expectations of yourself? And then what are your expectations of the team? And what are like, acceptable and non-acceptable behaviors. And you don't have to do that alone. You know, the expectations I think is important as a leader to let your people know and your team know, this is what I expect from you and include them in the process. You know, I want, this is how I view the world. This is how I expect the work to get done. Tell me, what do you see? You know, open yourself up for that curiosity and be vulnerable and also know that you don't know it all. And perfection is an illusion. So if you can learn to give yourself grace and learn to be, you know, one of my expectations is always laughter and it's never laughing at each other. It's never, you know, making personal attacks, but learning to find the humor in the situation because laughter is a great way to reduce stress and kind of find that belonging. So I think when it comes to creating a healthy work culture, you have to be willing to get to know your people and create a brave space for them to be themselves as well. It's funny that you talk about laughter. I call it levity in the ability that when 
hard things come. There is success on the other side of hard. But in order to to find that success, you have to define it. If you don't know what success is to you, there is no purpose in trying to reach it because you will never get to it. And success to me is finding levity in things that have the potential to break you and to wreck your night or your day or your year. So how do you find levity in hard things? I washed a hardcover book and wrecked every single piece of clothing in my washing machine. And instead of being mad about it, I laughed because it was a my fault. <laughs> B, it was funny. Like who does that? <laughs> so in in that moment, that felt like success to me, being able to find humor in something that could have potentially wrecked my entire my entire night. So I love that you brought laughter. That's that's great. So one last question on this leadership topic. What does it mean to you to lead with confidence? Big picture, what does that look like? I think it just, it depends on the situation, but really when you lead with confidence, you're leading with your heart. You're not leading with your head. Um, you know, you have to take your head with you because it's attached to your shoulders. And I completely understand that, but I think it's, it's leading, leading with confidence is if you know who you are and you are competent in your, wherever you're leading, then that creates confidence. If you are able to stand up and be like, this is, I know this is the job. There's the tactical part of it. And then there's the, you know, getting up on the balcony and looking at the big picture. And if you are competent in doing that, and it doesn't mean, you know, all the answers, then you become confident and it takes practice. You know, it takes practice and it really is a, you refine, you refine your leadership style and that creates more confidence too. And, you know, you start to do it and reflection. I think it's really important to look back and be like, you know, oh, wow, look at all this that I've done behind me and celebrate that. And that doesn't mean that every day you're going to wake up like, man, today I'm going to crush it. No, you're still human. But I think the confidence comes from recognizing all of that, that, you know, some days you're not, you're a 10. Some days you might be waking up as a three and that's okay. It's the confidence to know what a 10 looks like. And also looking backwards to be like, Oh yeah, I've got this. I've survived a hundred percent of my bad days. I may not know what the answer is right in front of me, but I know I can figure it out. I love that. And before we started recording, we were talking about books. (laughs) Granted, we were talking a little bit more about the guilty pleasure books, but (laughs) in the leadership or confidence or whatever space it is that you feel like it's going to create the most change for people, what would be that book that you would recommend is a must read for someone who's looking to grow in their confidence in leadership? Um, There's a couple. The first one I would say is Atomic Habits by James Clear. It is a fantastic book that really just breaks it down into bite-sized pieces. And that is a great foundational book for leadership. Um, Another leadership book that I think is really important that I just finished is The Person You Mean to Be by Dolly Cho, I believe. I will send you that information. Um, I listened to it and it was fantastic. And it's really about bias and learning to, you know, kind of overcome that. And I think it's really important as a leader to understand yourself. And I just really loved her book and how she, you know, talked through all of that. 
And then the third book that I will say is really great for entrepreneurs and also leadership is called Buy Back Your Time by Dan Martell. That was just a really great quick read of how to structure kind of your day as an entrepreneur to buy back your time instead of growing your organization. And I think that had I read that book when I was still in the fire service and I was responsible for um, a shift of people, that would have been really helpful as well. Awesome. I'm going to put all of this in the show notes so that everyone has a link to these books and they're officially added to my list. But how can people find you? Where can they learn more about you and what it is that you do? Awesome. Um, thank you. Well, I have my website called thefireinsideher.com. And that's a good, you know, to because there's so many things going on, that's kind of a good place to start. Um, I'm really active on LinkedIn and I'll give you the link to that to add to the show notes. And also on Instagram, um, I have that. And then my podcast, my weekly podcast, um, The Fire Insider, which is all about the journey to authenticity. And so it's kind of a pretty broad brush of, you know, a little bit of leadership, a lot of community, self-care, and hearing these amazing stories of the travelers on the journey to authenticity and the potholes they fall in and how they get out of them. Wonderful. It was amazing to have you. Thank you for your take on leadership, your take on what it looks like to have self-care. And I just really appreciate you being here. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining me as we grow together and learn to lead with confidence. If you enjoyed this episode, it would be so appreciated if you would leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. I would love to know which topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. So send me a message on Instagram at Desiree Petrick or send an email to leadwithconfidencepodcast at gmail.com. See you on the next episode of Lead with Confidence.